A developing story tonight high above Queens Park near the Ministry of Labor where hundreds of people are marching and rallying in support of CUPE education workers who are locked in a dispute with the Ford government over wage increases. Good evening. What started inside the halls of Queen's Park today has spilled out onto Toronto streets. The government and the union for the thousands of its employees are locked in a bitter dispute with neither side seemingly willing to budge. CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris has our top story tonight. Siobhan. Nathan, CUPE had talked about the fact that they were preparing a new proposal for wages when it comes to the government, something to present them in the hopes of averting a strike and get around legislation. Tonight we're hearing that that plan is still in the works. The debate began before the sun was up. Good morning. Weary MPPs gathered for a rare 5 a.m. session. The early jump to pass a bill that would impose a contract on CUPE's educational support workers on the eve of a planned strike. This government is violating the rights of 55,000 Ontario workers and those workers are parents too. Newsflash. They talk about 54,000 workers. We're talking over a million parents that would take work off because you want to feather the nest of the heads of the union. That's unacceptable. The government is facing blowback for using the notwithstanding clause to get around any court challenge of the bill. Either you support this strike or you stand with this government and will vote for this bill and keep kids in the classroom. Pick a lane. Opposition parties say deploying the notwithstanding clause out of the gate is wrong. It's a misuse of that power and um, it really diminishes the, the democracy of all Canadians when we see this overreach. It's a move that's also raised eyebrows in Ottawa, where Justin Trudeau's father signed the Constitution securing Canadian charter rights 40 years ago. Using the notwithstanding clause to suspend workers' rights um, is wrong. Collective bargaining negotiations are sometimes difficult, but it has to happen. The justice minister sees the provincial move as skipping steps. Using it preemptively is exceedingly problematic. It cuts off both political debate and judicial scrutiny. Lametti says he'll look at possible intervention, but federal disallowance of a provincial law is, is provided for in, in the Constitution, but, you know, politically that's hard to imagine. Leaving the federal government with few options. We have asked the provincial government about their response to that criticism from the federal government, and at this point we're still waiting for a formal response. There are still two more days of mediation between the province and CUPE. CUPE still believes there is a path to a deal at that negotiating table. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Siobhan. And while public workers get together to support CUPE, thousands of families across the city and throughout the province tonight are scrambling to find childcare for Friday. Several school boards have said they will have no choice but to close for in-person learning in the event of a strike. CTV's Janice Golding has been taking the temperature of parents and joins us now with that angle. Janice. Hi, Michelle. Yes, we've been speaking to a lot of parents today, and child care certainly is top of mind. And while some say they have family members that they can turn to, many more say they will have to take the day off work on Friday if there is a walkout. And they're also concerned about just how long this is going to go on. Kids are in class for now, but many school boards across the GTA are asking parents to come up with alternate arrangements for childcare in the event support staff stage a province-wide protest Friday. I'm not happy with this. I'm probably going to have to stay home with my kids. It's just going to be a long, 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 long weekend. <laughs> 
As parents scramble to come up with child care, others say that's a secondary issue. For them, the primary concern is their children's education. Because we have just came from the COVID and it's very, very difficult if we're going to having like again this strike. I'm as a parent, I feel a little frustrated that my kids cannot go to um, go to the school and I hope that this get um, resolved. It's not good uh, thinking that how much they they their uh, laws for for COVID and for the PA days that they usually have uh, one day in a month. AQP moves forward with its day of protest Friday, meaning 55,000 support staff walk off the job. The Toronto District School Board, the Toronto Catholic District School Board, Durham District School Board, Durham Catholic District School Board, and the York Catholic District School Board all say classes will be cancelled and schools will be closed. Those still monitoring the situation include York Region District School Board, Peel District School Board, and the Dufferin Peel Catholic District School Board. I'm a little disappointed, but I think that the QP workers are doing the right thing. It's disappointing, but I agree with everyone that it is striking. I do have an issue with it. I do think that they should go to work and all, but again, I, I do understand their point, their standpoint as well. So you sympathize, though, with the work? 100%. And at this time, it remains to be seen if the protest extends to next week, with the president of QP's Ontario School Board Council of Union saying what workers do will depend on what happens. Now, any job action could be very costly to the union, which could be fined upwards of $220 million each day the workers are off the job. Reporting live, I'm Janice Golding. Now back to Nathan. All right, thank you, Janice. And another look at the rally from the ground, just down the road from Queen's Park. The Ontario Federation of Labour has organized a gathering, saying the actions of the Ford government to impose back-to-work legislation and a new contract for QP, QP staff are unreasonable. QP says its 55,000 members will stage a province-wide strike Friday despite the new legislation. We have extensive coverage of this dispute online, including a list of the school boards expected to close Friday. Everything parents need to know on our website at ctvnewstoronto.ca. A big day if you are a parent with kids in licensed daycare. Today is the deadline for centers in the province to opt in to the national $10 a day program. About 85% of operators have signed on. They will be able to offer parents a rebate of 25% of fees retroactive to April. Those who still don't can still opt in next year, but families will miss out on the savings for 2022. Classes returned to normal at Woburn Collegiate today, but for students of the Scarborough School, the day was anything but. Many are struggling in the aftermath of a nearby fatal shooting that left an 18-year-old dead and sent a teen to hospital. Our Austin Delaney joins us now with more on the reaction and the investigation. Austin. Well, students recounting some terrifying moments yesterday as they fled for cover inside the school. Outside the school, an 18-year-old man was shot dead, a 15-year-old shot twice. He's in stable condition. Police are looking for a person they describe as a boy who they believe fired that gun. It is the day after the murder outside Woburn Collegiate in Scarborough, and students return to class, the deadly shooting still fresh in their minds. All you can hear is bang, bang, bang. And then that, like, clicked in my mind. All of those bangs must have been gunshots, and then I saw, like, I don't, I think it was one or two people collapse, so I ran down there. Panic as gunshots rang out. I saw the whole school run back inside. And then from that, I just took off home to try to stay safe. At first, we thought it was like firecrackers, and we turned around, and we saw people running. So we just kind of ran to our safety. The mayor weighing in today. But you cannot uh, just accept this as being something that's normal. What's normal? 
about somebody showing up in front of a school carrying a gun to begin with, let alone then using it. There's nothing normal about that. Police have identified the murder victim as 18-year-old Jefferson Guerrier, a graduate of Lester B. Pearson Collegiate last year. He was involved in the school band and he uh, it was part of the uh, skateboard club as well. And how's the school handling this? Uh, we're, we're grieving. A 15-year-old was also shot. He is recovering in hospital. The news coming out of uh, Auburn Collegiate in Scarborough is uh, extremely difficult to hear. Kids should feel safe. Uh, going to school. Classes had just let out for the day. I saw people running into school. Uh, found out it was gunshots. I followed the crowd in and we had a lockdown. The shooting happened around 3.15. It was uh, just horrible. It just um, I, My stomach was sick. I said, not again, in a school, a place of uh, where you come to learn. The shooting outside the school, inside, students went immediately into lockdown. So now I'm inside um, the English room for like a whole hour and a half. Then the police came inside the school and said, please exit this way, please exit this way. I guess it's pretty scary uh, to like realize that, oh no, it's a gun and you may get shot. Today, there were grief counselors. A range of feelings, great sorrow and just heartbreak. I feel unsafe. I feel like there should be a time off for this because I think everyone should have a, a time break and... Did she really take thinking about this and not come back to school like nothing ever happened? Frightened parents rushed to the school yesterday. Their children locked down inside. And the suspect described by police as a boy in his teens wearing dark clothing with a slim build. Students here tell me there have been tensions in the schools, many fights recently, even a stabbing. We're putting live. I'm Austin Delaney. All right. Thank you, Austin. To a troubling scenario at another Toronto school, job action is taking place at York Memorial Collegiate near Eglinton and Weston Road. Some staff members are citing safety concerns. CTV's Allison Hurst joins us live with those details. Allison. When we first arrived earlier this morning, there was police here on scene at the school. Uh, they were here all day, and what we don't know is whether they were here had anything to do with that investigation or something else entirely. But, um, but uh, some of the students told us that it's become normal to see officers here. Now, the school's principal did send out a letter to parents saying 13 staff members at York Memorial Collegiate Institute exercised their right to begin a work refusal process, adding that there were concerns about school safety. We spoke with students here who say Friday there was a fight at the school and that there have been several since the first day back this year. Students also told us there's a security guard at the school now as well. The Toronto District School Board would not confirm whether a fight has anything to do with this work action and in a letter uh, school officials say they're doing what they can to arrange coverage for classes by other staff and administrators i love the teachers but you know them not coming to school breaks my heart i haven't seen one of my teachers first period we're just all sitting in the cafe it's also second period a bunch of students are missing their classes because teachers aren't here and the letter goes on to say that discussions began yesterday, continue today, and will continue through the day tomorrow. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Nathan, back to you. All right. Thank you, Allison. Here's a live look at the city tonight and the end of an incredibly great start to November weather-wise, well above seasonal. 
Lindsay Morrison here with a look at the current conditions. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Nathan. You know, we are talking temperatures in the 20s in many different parts of southern Ontario today. Uh, unusual for this time of year, certainly. It is still 17 degrees right now in Vaughan and Markham. It's 18 in Oakville and Burlington. And yes, Toronto Pearson did manage to make it to a high of 20 this afternoon. We still have sunshine out there for the time being, but fog is expected to develop once again as we make our way through the night tonight and into tomorrow morning. We're dropping to a low of six degrees. That's a little bit cooler than it was yesterday, but this mild spell, it is going to continue. We could even break a few records a little later this week. We'll talk about that and the sunny stretch that's in store coming up. For now, though, Michelle, over to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Dozens of friends and family of Teresh Ramroop are gathering tonight for a vigil in the Toronto man's honour. Known to loved ones as Bobby, the 32-year-old died nearly three weeks ago following an interaction with police. Our Beth McDonnell is at the vigil right now and joins us live. Beth. Nathan, Teresh, Bobby Ramroop would have turned 33 today. Friends, family and community members have gathered for this vigil. They're going to be lighting candles and releasing balloons. They are angry, sad and families say his death could have been prevented after he was in distress. Police responded to a call and he fell from the 16th floor of his apartment. It's my baby. They took my baby. Just just few weeks before his birthday, his 33rd birthday, they took my baby away. Bob liked giving everyone flowers, so specifically for his birthday at work, he was telling everyone he wanted flowers. And unfortunately, they ended up bringing him flowers for his funeral instead of his birthday. Ramroop's family say he lived with depression, loved his job at FedEx and his family. On October 13th, Toronto police received calls from people seeing furniture and other items being thrown from the top floor. Police say members of its emergency task force, along with tactical paramedics, responded. Police say Ramroop had barricaded himself, and because of that, this is not the type of incident the mobile crisis intervention team would be deployed to, given the elevated risk of harm. Harm. This is a crisis team which partners police with a nurse. Police say a psychiatrist was called to the high rise but didn't make it in time. Ultimately, Ramroop's family believes he was trying to escape police and say he needed mental health support, not a police response. Police. The Special Investigations Unit is investigating this case. We are standing by at the vigil, waiting for the balloons to go up, as well as the candles. And we also know that they will be singing a song and reciting a poem for their loved one. Reporting live, I'm Beth McDonnell. Now back to Michelle and Nathan. Thank you, Beth. Highway 401 near Bowmanville is open again following a deadly morning crash. The OPP say at least seven vehicles were involved in the incident during the morning rush at Holt Road. Officers say the driver of a transport truck carrying tires rolled into a construction zone and struck a number of vehicles. The crash killed a 64-year-old Pickering man and sent six other people to hospital. The seniors facing a difficult recovery tonight after being hit while crossing the street near Bathurst and Finch this morning. Police say the man is 81 years old. He was taken to a trauma center with life-threatening injuries. 
Months have passed since police tore down the last remains of the Ottawa trucker convoy protest. And today, after weeks of testimony from top authorities, a pivotal day surrounding the federal inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. We'll show you testimony from some of the key protesters who took the stand today in a few minutes. But first, it's the Ontario Premier and Deputy Premier who are battling in a courtroom trying to avoid having to testify at the inquiry altogether. CTV's Raheem Ladani joins us in studio with the details. Raheem. Well, Nathan and Michelle, we've heard Premier Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones's name come up a number of times during this inquiry where they've both been heavily criticized. And so it's their testimony the committee wants to hear, although they're fighting to give it. As horns blared through the streets of Ottawa for weeks on end in February, it was the Ontario Premier's voice that loudly rang at protesters. So let me be as clear as I can. There will be consequences for these actions, and they will be severe. Months after the convoy cleared, Doug Ford confirmed his commitment to the public inquiry, examining the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act. Well, if they, they call me, I'll participate. But now that the commission has summoned, both the Premier and then Solicitor General Sylvia Jones are refusing to answer questions in front of a committee about how the province handled the occupation in downtown Ottawa and the blockade of incoming traffic from the U.S. at the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor. Doug Ford is essentially making a political calculation cloaked in a legal argument. In front of a federal judge Tuesday, their lawyer argued the pair has parliamentary privilege, a type of immunity, he says, would cause irreparable harm if they were forced to testify. The judge later asked if that privilege is being used as a shield rather than a sword to invalidate the summons. The Emergencies Act inquiry has already heard from multiple witnesses who have questioned the Premier's participation in putting an end to the protests. He's making, I think, a very genius calculation that I would much rather be called a bunch of names for a week in a news cycle than be cross-examined by skilled lawyers that won't let him get away with anything and won't let him call a timeout. The province is seeking a stay of those summons until a full hearing is heard. But a lengthy delay could work in favor of Ford and Jones, with the inquiry set to conclude before the end of the month. Now, as is often the case, the judge has reserved his decision, but he says he will have one by November 8th, two days before Ford and Jones have been asked to testify. Reporting live, I'm Raheem Ladani. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Raheem. At the inquiry itself, protesters have replaced police and politicians on the witness list. As CTV's Judy Trin reports, organizers explained today even they were shocked at the size and scope of the rally. Chris Barber, a 47-year-old vaccinated trucker from Swift Current, Saskatchewan, rose to prominence in the Freedom Convoy on the strength of his social media. He had 170,000 followers on TikTok. Mandates need to be removed, and we're not leaving until they are. He described himself as an internet troll who ranted a lot against vaccine mandates. When the COVID vaccine passport came in, made things a little tricky. Uh, we weren't allowed to enter restaurants anymore. Um, it was, I, I trucked throughout the whole pandemic. I, I never stopped. Barber said he and four others joined forces to organize the convoy. It came together in two weeks. Barber testified he was aware of extreme views inside the convoy's leadership, including demands to overthrow the government and these online threats. Trudeau, 
Someone's going to make you catch a bullet one day. Barber testified he and Tamara Leach did not remove Pat King from the leadership group because they didn't want to lose his supporters. I don't believe it was a concern. He explained to me that it was taken out of context and edited to make him sound worse than it was. I believe Pat had all the right cons or all the right reasons and, and a good heart. Barber was responsible for sustaining the truckers and would often be seen handing out envelopes of $500 for protesters to buy fuel and food, but he himself stayed in hotel. In cross-examination, Barber was shown how inflammatory rhetoric in a daily newsletter sent out by organizers to demonstrators led to a threat calling for a bullet to Deputy Minister Krista Freeland's head. Would you agree with me that when, when you start a fire and fan the flames, it can get out of control and you had no control over those other factions who had come to this protest? Barbara is facing three criminal charges, mischief, counseling others to commit mischief, and obstruction of a peace officer. Whatever he says at this inquiry can't be used against him in his criminal proceedings. Judy Trin, CTV News, Ottawa. Coming up from downtown to Cabbage Town, more construction driving people away and fueling frustration. The new detours that have local businesses wondering if they can stay afloat. I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, some cities have been late sending out their water bills. But if you have a leak, you could be in for a surprise. One man says he got a bill for almost $5,000 and a running toilet was to blame. We can show you how to find a leak. That story is just ahead. Still one more month of hurricane season and there are two storms we're tracking right now. This is Tropical Storm Lisa, expected to impact areas like Honduras, Belize and Guatemala. There's also Martin, currently not posing a threat to land. Both of these storms are expected to become hurricanes. Closer to home, we'll show you how long this mild stretch of weather is going to last. That's ahead in your forecast and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. We're all trying to keep a watchful eye on our utility bills, and that's true when it comes to our water bill as well. If you have a dripping faucet or a running toilet, you would be amazed at how much that can cost you over time. Here's Pat Foran and a consumer alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle and Nathan. Avon man says he didn't get a water bill for six months, and when he did, it was for $4,700. A plumber blamed the water loss on leaky toilets. There is an easy way to check you're not flushing money down the drain. Electris. Uh, uh, did not send a bill for six months. Sam Signa of Woodbridge says he was shocked to get a bill for about $5,700 for water and electricity. 4700 of it was for water usage. I was just totally shocked. So that, that sum was just way out of my budget. They said uh, that it was a water leakage. Cygnus says when a plumber checked his toilets, one was found to have a serious leak that created the high water bill. He turned off two other toilets in his home. He has been told he can go on a payment plan, but is expected to pay the huge bill. Had they let me know within a month or two that my water sent me a message, I would have had the plumber look at it. 
Electra Utilities told CTV News, our process is to advise customers of high water usage and flag bill issues that may be indicative of leaks or other problems. There's uh, three parts of the toilet that can possibly cause uh, your water losses. Probably the most common is your flapper. Professor Jocelyn Fisher is in the plumbing department of Humber College helping students become licensed plumbers. She says it's a good idea to listen to toilets to see if you can hear running water or ghost flushes, but the easy the easiest way to see if you have a leak is to put food coloring in the back of the tank. Now you can see the whole tank is a solid blue color. And if I pull a little bit on the chain to simulate a leak on your flapper, then you're going to see it coming down into your bowl. If the color changes in the bowl, chances are you have a leak. Cigna has been told he can apply for water forgiveness to pay a portion of the bill. He says homeowners should get their statement more often than six months. They probably had difficulty with sending their bills, and I'm left with holding the bag. And we've done many stories on big water bills, and they're almost always connected to a leaky toilet. After you put food coloring in the tank, wait 10 to 15 minutes and do not flush. If the color seeps into the bowl, then you have a leak. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Mere hours after the trick-or-treaters had gone home, the distillery district began preparing for its next celebration. A 15-meter-tall white spruce from Bancroft arrived this morning. It'll be the centerpiece of their winter village. This year's decorations include thousands of blue ornaments, twinkling lights, and Christian Dior star charms. The tree will be lit November 17th with the festivities running until December 31st. Nothing about today says winter's coming. Not at all. It's, you could just feel the difference in the air, and then we just, you know, we're through with the rain for a really good stretch now. We are, and we're enjoying a, a sunset at this hour. It looks like there's a little bit of haze over Lake Ontario. We're starting to see fog develop once again. That will be a story as we head through the night tonight. Part of the reason why we have warm temperatures over the relatively cooler waters of Lake Ontario. This will be a pattern over the next couple of days. Fog at night and in the morning, followed by sunshine in the afternoon. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Of course, it's not just the sunshine we're talking about today. How about those temperatures? Look at them. Toronto, not the only hot spot today. Windsor making it to 20 degrees. Similar conditions in Sarnia, Burlington and Ridgetown. Just want to point out Algonquin Park as well. Uh, not quite 20 degrees, but 17, not bad for this time of year. At 20 degrees for us here in the city of Toronto, that's not record-breaking. For this day, the record to beat is 25 degrees. That record was set back in the year 1950, but I don't think anyone was complaining about today. It was absolutely gorgeous, especially in the afternoon. Tonight, we dropped to a low of 6 degrees. That's a little bit cooler than it was overnight last night. Tomorrow, cooler still uh, compared to today. It's all relative, isn't it? We go from 20 degrees well above seasonal to 14. Still a couple of degrees warmer than what's considered the average temperature now on this first day in November. 
November. And speaking of which, really doesn't look or feel like November, does it? This month is uh, traditionally known for being dark, damp, and cool. But our upper air pattern here shows you a couple of clues as to what's in store over the next week or so. We are going to remain mild. Here's the satellite and radar imagery. Not much to show you. The low pressure system that brought us the rain for Halloween, it has now moved on out. It's going to be quiet on the weather front over the next couple of days. Uh, things change a little bit as we make our way into the weekend. But let me set the forecast radar in motion here just to show you. There's a little bit of fog for tomorrow. Once again, it's going to dissipate and lift as we make our way into the afternoon. Communities hugging the shoreline of Lake Ontario, Georgian Bay, Lake Huron going to continue to see fog likely into Thursday morning as well before enjoying a nice mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon yet again. So I sound a little bit like a broken record, but for good reason. 15 degrees on Thursday, 18 on Friday. I do think it's possible that we could end up breaking a record on Saturday. Once again, forecasting a temperature around 20 degrees, but showers move in late day. Follow us into the day on Sunday. A reminder that the clocks go back this weekend, so don't forget. And then through the early part of next week, look at that double digit highs and overnight lows warmer than normal for this time of year. Also, that's your look at the weather for now. Michelle, over to you. Wonderful. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, in the ongoing congestion around our city's core, we have more news that will likely make you see red. Road work through Cabbage Town is slowing drivers to a grinding halt. And as CTV's Mike Walker explains, the headache is spreading to surrounding businesses. As traffic moves around construction pylons along Parliament and the Carlton Streetcar suspended for two months now due to track replacement, Cabbage Town business owners say the ongoing construction is driving customers away. We've lost all of our foot traffic. 70% of our business is relying on uh, the commuters. Regina Shung has owned Labor of Love for 13 years and says her business is down by 50%. Without the traffic, the accessibility to come into Cabbage Town, um, I don't see how we're going to get those sales up. Buses have replaced streetcars, but there are detours. The city is replacing a water main on Parliament, which is expected to be completed next year. Fencing has been erected in front of businesses and street parking is off limits. I do avoid certain businesses because I know that one, I can't park in my usual area, and two, it's just so much of a hassle. An impact Amar Gurdita has noticed. He worries he won't be able to keep his organic grocery store open much longer. I don't know how I'm going to manage to pay my rents. I'm not selling at all. At this farmer's market, the owners say it's also impacting suppliers. And it has been challenging uh, because of the situation on the roads with there's no, no drop-off, no parking, and some of them have not been able to come down due to that. Business owners have started a petition calling on the city to reduce construction timelines by 50% and to provide financial support to businesses affected by the construction. We are just seriously just starting to uh, pay off our debts through the pandemic and we now have no ability and traffic to uh, continue and sustain our business. The city says it's ensuring projects are bundled together to avoid multiple disruptions in areas. Mayor John Tory saying in a statement we support the construction work getting done as quickly as possible and doing everything to get it done. But crews are working in many cases to replace more than 100-year-old infrastructure. Tory also says he's open to determine what can be done to speed up the project. Business owners say at the very least they want more transparency on construction timelines. Mike Walker, CTV News. 
Also tonight, new hope in the treatment of type 1 diabetes, how a drug is being repurposed to potentially eliminate the need for insulin. Now is the time when you're going to start to see little mustaches emerge as people put the shaver away for a good cause. Movember is underway. We know in Canada that uh, a boy born in 2020 has a four-year shorter life expectancy than a girl born that same year. And largely it's due to preventable causes. Some of the things on the issues that we work on, prostate cancer, mental health, testicular cancer, but also on those stereotypes about men asking for help, looking for help, taking care of themselves, having those hard conversations. If we can change some of those stereotypes, change some of those stigmas, get men more active in their own health care, we're really going to see some positive results. Draper, a mustached four-year-old Clydesdale from the Toronto Police Service, helped kick off this year's Movember campaign. Some of the participants got their mustaches shaved today to publicize the month-long event. It raises money and awareness of men's health issues worldwide. More than 60,000 Canadians are expected to take part this year. A drug currently used for conditions like psoriasis and Crohn's disease is showing promise as a treatment for type 1 diabetes. And as our health reporter Pauline Chan tells us, the hope is that it may even eliminate the need for insulin. Yeah, so the uh, vampire over here, he took about an entire body's worth of blood. Some post-Halloween humor from Halifax resident Andrew Beaver, who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes just in July, making him eligible to participate in a new drug trial at Mount Sinai. But type 1 diabetes, it's a condition where, through no fault of one's own, suddenly the immune system decides it wants to get rid of insulin-producing cells. So Dr. Bruce Perkins has focused on an already established treatment for autoimmune illnesses, ustekinumab, as a possible treatment for type 1 diabetes, especially in the very early stages when insulin production in the body hasn't fully shut down yet. This would be a game changer, the idea that we give an immune medication at diagnosis. And this uh, medication uh, dampens that immune reaction during the time of new onset type 1 diabetes to help protect those insulin-producing cells. Study participant Elaine Cook takes two types of insulin at least four times a day. She carries sugary snacks with her just in case and says managing diabetes can be incredibly complex. Stress, hormone levels, um, sleep, alcohol, uh, food, exercise, um, if it's too hot out, if it's too cold out, all of that changes. Beaver is in for his first session in the ustekinumab trial, but won't know if he's getting the drug or a placebo. But we can just say that we've seen people with very, very low insulin requirements, and we've seen some people, or one person in particular, come off of insulin entirely. And Beaver explains why he's participating. Yeah, it's not just for me, it's for the future. You know, I can help the next group of people that end up getting this, you know, no matter which side I'm on, whether I get the placebo or the drug. Dr. Perkins is looking for a total of 70 participants for the study, young adults with type 1 diabetes, within 100 days of their diagnosis. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Ontario's official flu shot campaign is underway. Starting today, the shots are now available through health care providers, public health units, and in participating pharmacies. The health minister is urging people to get vaccinated, saying colder weather leads to an increase in respiratory illnesses, and people should get protected against both the flu and COVID-19. The music world is mourning the loss of one of its young stars on the rap scene tonight.
Kirshnik Kari Ball, better known as Takeoff, was shot and killed early Tuesday at a Houston bowling alley where a private party was being held. Police say two others were injured. The 28-year-old was part of Migos, along with Offset and his uncle Quavo. The multi-platinum group formed in 2008 in Atlanta, and it earned two Grammy nods and several BET Award nominations. Taylor Swift has become the first artist in history to claim the top 10 spots on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. She did it with tracks from her new record, Midnight. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. The new album will be featured prominently during Swift's first U.S. stadium tour in five years. The 27-city jump begins in March in Glendale, Arizona, and wraps up in L.A. in August. International dates will follow. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. After the break, Canada's plan to boost immigration in a big way to address the labor shortage as refugee advocates call out for more supports for the thousands who now call Canada home. My baby, they took my baby. Just just few weeks before his birthday, his 33rd birthday, they took my baby away. Updating our top stories, a vigil is being held this evening for Teresh Ramru. The SIU is investigating the 32-year-old's death as he fell from a 16-story apartment while in the presence of Toronto police. His family is asking for more details about the circumstances surrounding his death. The range of feelings, great sorrow and just heartbreak for the young people that were involved, their families, their friends. Police continue to search for a suspect following the fatal shooting of 18-year-old Jefferson Gurrier outside of Scarborough High School yesterday. A 15-year-old boy was also wounded in the shooting, and investigators say they believe another teen was responsible for pulling the trigger. We've seen workers uh, legislated back during a strike. We've seen workers uh, negotiate or forced to take a collective agreement through uh, legislation, but never have we seen the notwithstanding clause used. The and union leaders have gathered to protest the province's anti-strike legislation aimed at education workers. The Ford government hopes to pass this legislation, which would impose a four-year contract before a planned strike on Friday. QP says its members will walk out regardless of whether the bill is passed. And joining us once again is Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris, who's outside with protesters now. Siobhan. Well, Nathan, there are hundreds of people here on the lawn of Queen's Park, not just members of CUPE, but you're seeing support and solidarity from a wide number of union members, people from the Ontario Nurses Association. There are people here from Unifor, uh, people from uh, the Associated Transit Union. This is because they feel that this is not only a fight for CUPE uh, against the government, but one for workers everywhere across Ontario. They're concerned about what the government is doing, moving forward to impose a contract on CUPE members over the next week passage of a bill they're hoping to get through by Thursday. They're also concerned about the government's use of the notwithstanding clause to protect from any possible court challenge of that rule. We're hearing pushback from QP saying this is really a getting in the way of their rights to bargain freely, something they say that they should still be able to do at this point in the game to negotiate a contract, though the union and government remain very far apart on wages in particular. We were expecting to hear from QP today a new proposal on wages. They said late this afternoon 
afternoon that it's something that they're still working on. The government is willing to listen, but they do say that what they hear from CUPE has to be fair. There's still about a 10% gap in what both sides are looking for. CUPE looking for about 12% was their last offer. In the uh, arrangement that the the government's put forward the contract that would be imposed. The maximum they're allowing is 2.5% annual increases. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Nathan and Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. Appreciate the update. A big push tonight by Ottawa to curb the ongoing labour shortage. Lawmakers are promoting a plan to bring in hundreds of thousands of new Canadians. But as our John Musselman explained, some critics suggest this new target is missing the mark. That's right. So, look, this is not going to solve every single problem. Immigration Minister Sean Fraser was in Toronto today to talk about the labour shortage. He says Canadian industries need workers, a shortage currently around 1 million vacancies. Changing demographics make it even more important. If we don't do something to correct this demographic trend, the conversation we're going to have 10 or 15 years from now won't be about labour shortages. It's going to be about whether we have the economic capacity to continue to fund schools and hospitals and public services that I think we too often take for granted. The government says it plans to boost the number of immigrants entering Canada. Here's a look at the numbers. 500,000 people arriving each year by 2025. The proposal puts an emphasis on increasing the number of immigrants based on work skills. But critics say the government isn't doing enough, especially for thousands of refugees already in this country. They can't find housing, they don't have Canadian references, and their qualifications are not recognized. Somebody who is a professional um, who worked as an interpreter and helped the Canadian military doesn't want to take minimum wage working at a warehouse. Mm -hmm. um, these are not appropriate jobs for these people. And the, the people who have like even IT qualifications, which is highly in need in Canada, are having difficulty getting their qualifications recognized here. Part of the problem is the fact that there's no housing availability. This immigration plan has a major focus on uh, expanding access to housing and reducing the pressure on our housing system by bringing in larger numbers. The minister says Canada remains a world leader in welcoming refugees from other countries, even as it boosts the number of immigrants to help fill this nationwide labour shortage. John Musselman, CTV News. The Toronto Maple Leafs are on top of the hockey world, at least according to how much the franchise is worth. Sports industry expert Sportico values the buds at more than $2.1 billion, about $110 million above the second-place New York Rangers. MLSC, which owns the Leafs, Raptors, and TFC, also owns Scotiabank Arena, helping the company add to its revenue with various concerts and events. Sportico says the average NL NHL team is now worth over a billion dollars, crossing that threshold for the very first time. Steve Nash is out as the Brooklyn Nets head coach. The team is parting ways with the Canadian Hall of Fame point guard after a disappointing start to the season. Nash thanked the club, saying it was an amazing experience with many challenges that he is incredibly grateful for. Brooklyn made the playoffs in both his full seasons as coach. The rain-delayed World Series resumes tonight in Philadelphia. Garcia, Real Muto, shoots one in the air the other way. Back goes Tucker at the wall. It's gone! The Phillies in Houston are tied with one game apiece. Game three of the fall classic was postponed by a day because of the weather. Ranger Suarez will get the start for the Philadelphia Phillies. This evening, right-hander Lance McMullers, Jr., gets the ball for the Astros. 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been honored for his fielding skills. The Jays slugger has been named the Gold Glove Award winner for the first base in the American League. The awards are given out each year by MLB and equipment manufacturer Rawlings to the top defensive player in each position as voted by managers and coaches. Just ahead, meet this year's Silver Cross mother through the immense grief of losing her son in Afghanistan, offering a message of support for families across the country. Each year leading up to Remembrance Day, Canada names one mother to represent all military families who've lost someone in the line of duty. This year's was announced today. Candy Greff from Alberta. CTV's Bill Fortier has her story. In the small city of Lacombe, Alberta, right between Edmonton and Calgary, tributes to Master Corporal Byron Greff are everywhere. The Legion, his high school, and the cemetery where he's buried. All reminders of the son Candy Greff lost 11 years ago. I think everyone has learned to trudge through the mud. That's what I call it. Grief is wading your way through. Greff was killed when a suicide bomber destroyed an armored NATO bus. It was the country's last military loss in Afghanistan after Canada's role shifted from combat to training. Candy doesn't think about the day she got the call. I don't go back there. That's, that's a fairly low awful place to go. Candy Greff is this year's National Silver Cross Mother. She'll lay a wreath at the National Remembrance Day service in Ottawa and for the next year she'll be the voice of military families who lost loved ones while serving. It was a huge honor, a huge honor to be able to represent all of those families, mothers and families who have lost I want them to know that we get it. We understand. Greff remembers her son as a gifted athlete, a skilled soldier, and someone with an infinite love of humor and an equally insatiable desire to help. And I believe they did that when they went to Afghanistan. In my heart, I believe that. Candy Greff knows, like anyone who has lost a child, a part of her will never heal. In her new role, she'll stand strong for every military mother and father forced to say goodbye too soon. We need to hold our heads up high and stand tall to honor Byron. I feel I do. Master Corporal Greff is survived by his wife and two kids. Bill Fortier, CTV News, Lacombe, Alberta. And we thank him for his service. It would be so nice if on Remembrance Day we could have weather like this. As yeah. you know, sometimes it can be tricky, but I think it's too far out at this point. It's too far out, but right now, I mean, we're in for a, a bit of a lengthy pattern when it comes to these mild temperatures and, generally speaking, dry conditions. So we'll see what happens. But what we do know for sure is that tonight we're going to drop to a low of 6 degrees. There will be some fog that creeps its way back in again. And waking up tomorrow morning, you'll likely notice some of that cloud, but it will lift, it will dissipate as the day goes on and once again we are looking at a very pleasant afternoon with some sunshine not going to be as warm tomorrow as it was today but still above seasonal and it looks as though we're going to climb our way back up toward 20 degrees this weekend a little unsettled Saturday night into the day on Sunday but the mild stretch it continues into the early part of next week
And a reminder to pick up your lotto tickets. Tonight's jackpot is $60 million, and there are eight max million jackpots up for grabs, each worth $1 million. That's your look at the weather, Nathan and Michelle. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar's Hachadina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.